Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. We are recording in progress with Narvel uh, McGee. And so I reached out because I've been putting this book together and we did an interview with you, Marty, Michael, and Bill, right. but you didn't get very much time because we had four of you and we were talking about, I titled it breaking the lines. I think Michael had said that about breaking the lines of race and how for a while they called it the Ebony line in Jubilee. And then in hello, Hollywood, hello, it was just the black boys. Many boys down in um, hello, Hollywood up in Reno. I think that's how it was in the uh, program. Yeah, and so there's things that are like things have changed, but also revisiting. I love that conversation so much because even when the four of you were talking, you could see this friendship that you have that's been that runs deep and it's been over many decades. And even hearing you guys hear each other's story and go, Oh, I've never heard this part. Or it was a revelation for all four. And I was just going, Wow, I've never heard any of this, even though (laughs) I was in the show. I you know, I got to dance with Yuri and there was a, a few interactions, but I just think, you know, that show that size, we just didn't get to know each other. Right. But then when we started talking, you started telling me things like, we need to do an interview of just you because I was like, oh, this is good, good stuff. So thank you on this well, Sunday afternoon of a last minute thing that it's like, this is, there's some good stuff. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm glad to do it for you, Sherry. I mean, we've all got just stories. Everybody's got a story to tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, even when we were in the in the dressing rooms next to each other, I don't know how much we really talked about our lives. Mm. You know, if it was whoever, whatever soap opera story was going on, or but I don't think I really knew that much. And I do these interviews with somebody I sat next to for a year and go, I didn't know, I didn't know any of this stuff. So I think maybe oh. we're more interested now than maybe at the time where it was just, you know, living in the moment, which was great, but. You don't know like the struggle or the success of what got people into those shows. So you had even told me about how many times you auditioned and, and Kate Vanderlead. So I'm going in a weird spirograph here, but I would love to, to go back of just like how you started dancing and how you ended up pursuing this, oh. you know, like what's available as a dance, you know, a dancer back in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I came from a military family. My dad was, my dad was Air Force. And um, we traveled quite a bit around the world, you know, when I was much younger. I mean, before the age of 12, I had lived um, not only in Louisiana, where I was born, but I also lived in Southern California and um, lived on the Greek island of Crete for two years from Oh, my goodness. January 65 to 67. Then we moved to Taipei, Taiwan from January of 67 to 69. And then we came back to California again for the second time. Um, And then we went to Japan for two years, 1970 to 72. And when we came back to the States, back to California, I was 12 and my dad retired from the military. So I went to junior high and high school um, in Southern California and uh, a small town called Sunnymead, California. It's now known as Moreno Valley, to tell you the truth. And there were, at the time, 
six elementary schools, one junior high, one high school. So we were all funneled through the same schools and everybody knew everybody. And then at the base of it all, there was a big military base, March Air Force Base. And most of our dads were or moms were in the military. So that's that's what it was like. Um, But growing up like that, you know, I didn't really have the privilege of going to Miss Susie's School of Dance. I was going to ask where dance fits in when you're moving all the time. You know, had done as I call it. And um, when I went to high school, I was involved in in musical theater in my last two years, my junior and senior year. Um, I think in my junior year, I did The Music Man. And then my, my, my senior year, I did South Pacific. And I knew I had a love for it. I had a love what I wanted to pursue. And um, UC Irvine, the University of California, Irvine, had a very, very good, reputable fine arts department. So I decided to go to UC Irvine to get my BFA, my Bachelor of Fine Arts. And um, I start the fall of 1978, and I'm living in the dorms. And that first year that I'm there, I meet a young lady that many of you know that have danced in Vegas or the Lido in Paris or, uh, or in Reno, and that is Kate Vanderloo. And we were both 18. We lived in different dorms, but we were in, um, we were in dance classes together. And uh, I mean, the lovely leggy Kate, legs 11. Oh my gosh, I think Kate was fine. <laughs> something like that. So tall, so beautiful, so funny. And, um, you know, we became friends during that time that, that of course, that we were going to Irvine. And uh, I think it was in my junior year, um, Kate had auditioned for Hello Hollywood Hello with a couple of other girls from Irvine, one being Judy Glenn that some of you might know. And I unfortunately cannot remember the, the third young lady's name. And Kate made the audition, as eventually Judy Glenn did. And so she took a little hiatus from UC Irvine um, and went to do the show up in, um, up in Reno. And um, UC Irvine was very good about that. If you were in the dance department and you were hired professionally as a dancer, they would give you credit for that. And they would actually go and work. And if you wanted to come back and continue and finish, then you could, which is pretty much what Kate did. So goes away and she's up there for six months and maybe a little bit more. And I get in touch with Kate and I'm like, I want, I want to be a show boy. I want to come up in Reno and I want to get into hello, Hollywood. Hello. And I told you a little bit about this, uh, I'll preface it with this. I had met, uh, a show boy from Las Vegas. I should say a dancer from Las Vegas, black male dancer. Um, who was in the Siegfried and Roy show, which was at the frontier at the time. And I'm talking to him about dancing in Vegas and he's telling me how great it is and this and that. But, you know, he tells me about the height requirement because in Vegas, typically, if you were a male dancer on the strip, you had to be six foot tall, barefoot to get into a show. And I'm only five. Um, But one thing he did not tell me about was like uh, kind of like the black white ratio in the shows. Certain shows on the strip back then had a number of black male dancers or black female dancers. 
And um, what I eventually learned to understand was that if a black male dancer left, another black dancer came in to replace him. And, you know, same thing with the women in the shows. It wasn't like a black male dancer stepped into the white line of dancers or vice versa. It just wasn't that way. So that's something that I learned after I, you know, was hired into Hello Hollywood. But um, going back, getting ahead of myself a little bit here, um, Kate Vanderleet had arranged for me to have a private audition with um, Adrian Lepeltier, which we all know him mm. as. Yeah. Ada, yeah. We all love Ada. We all love Ada. And um, that was November of 1981. And so she arranged this audition for me and I went up to uh, Reno and um, it was just Adrian and myself. And uh, we had to do Top Hat, the number from the show. And we also, um, he auditioned me on Heat Wave, Frame the Rat, Frame the Rat. A lot of you boys know what that means. So anyway. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? Well, there was, there was, there was a motion that we did, choreography that we did in Heat Wave, um, where we placed our hands uh, kind of to either side of our manhood. Um, and and he frame the rat. <laughs> it was quite funny and quite cute. But I finished the, the audition with, with Ada and you know, he told me that I had done well. And, and, um, you know, I was really pleased for that because I mean, I tell you, it's, it was quite daunting to be on that stage of that size in Reno at the MGM by your, with, you know, with one other person. I mean, you felt like you were as tall as a thimble, but anyway, went through that. And Ada said to me, he said, how tall are you, darling? And I said, I'm five, eight and a half. And he said to me, no, you're 5'10". And I said, no, I'm 5'8 and a half. I don't <laughs> understand. And he was trying to tell me something. And he said, listen, you are going to have to come back in February. That would have been February of 82, about four months later. And you'll have to do the cattle call with everyone, the big audition. And uh, when you come back, do everything you can to be 5'10". And then I understood. Mm. <laughs> Back of the shoes, kitten heels, I don't know what. Whatever, whatever it meant to be 5'10". <laughs> oh, I thanked him. Did not make an audition that day for the show, but was invited back for February. And um, which I came back in February. And uh, I remember sitting in the house and the house was dark, but there were many dancers who were already in the show watching because, you know, they would like to come and watch and see who's going to try to get into the show, who's going to make it, you know, new meat. And um, I'm sitting there amongst them and with other people who are getting ready to audition that, that same day. And uh, the stage was lit. That big, daunting stage was lit. And I remember hearing Jillian's voice out of the void saying, is Novel McGee in the house? And that beautiful South African accent. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I'm here. You know, she said, Novel, would you please come down and stand on the stage for me? 
all alone myself. So I get up and I walk down. I don't think anybody knew why this was happening. They're all just kind of looking at me, you know. And I go and I stand on this stage alone, quiet for a moment. And then she says, is Bobcat here in the house? And Bobcat was a, was a black male dancer who had already been in the show. He was in the show at the time. And he says, yes, no, I'm here, in, I'm here in the house. And she said, would you please go on stage and stand next to Narvel? So he comes to stand next to me. And then I realize what she's doing. She's trying to get an idea of our height. Because mm. I don't quite six feet tall. But, you know, if I could match him, then that might be a good thing for me. Because Don Arden, the producer of the show, was sitting next to her. And um, we're standing there and I'm pulling up as much as I can. Oh, you found that little extra couple yeah. inches. Yeah, I found that little <laughs> inch and a half. There you go. <laughs> and Jillian says, Novell, Don Arden will allow you to audition today. Ooh. I was like so grateful. I was so grateful. And so the audition started and it was a full on audition with, you know, with, with the ballet and then. And then again, top hat and heat wave and this and that, the boys and then the girls and then the boys and the girls and whatever. And by the end of the audition, they had selected, I believe there were 10 10 boys. Uh, Nowadays, I probably wouldn't be saying this, but I will say it for 1982. There were four black boys and six white boys that were selected at the very end of, of all of this audition. And uh, Don Arden says, okay, boys, drop the pants, turn around, crack a smile. Mm. <laughs> see how, I believe the word is calipagian you are, which means well-rounded buns. If you didn't know that word. I did not know that. I've learned uh, frame the rat and calipagian. <laughs> calipagian fellow, meaning he's a fellow with a well-rounded bottom. Really? Get up. So... Okay. Um, we turn around and that's what we do. And that day, I think there were two, two of the white dancers that were selected for the show. And Jillian, you know, afterwards called us black boys to the foot of the stage and told us that there were auditions that were getting ready to happen in Las Vegas for Jubilee with Fluff Coke. And if we wanted to, we could, you know, we were invited to go down to Vegas and try that if we wanted to. So at that point, I still didn't still didn't make the show you know and um so that was that was february of 1982 and i went on to graduate from uc irvine that june along with kate vanderlee who came back to school she came back and did it okay well 1982 kate and i graduated from uc irvine with our bfas and uh i believe kate went back up and and continued in the show in Reno. And I ended up going to Sun City, South Africa with Michael Shepard. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed there for a year. And then I came back and I did uh, Dance Between the Lines, which was a very hot cabaret show um, in San Francisco, which was choreographed by Ann Garvin. And Ann Garvin was like one of the Ann Garvin, Joan Palathorpe, Betsy Howe. Oh, love, love, love uh, that style. Yeah, from 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 Apcar and that. Yeah. And 
It was a great show. It was a great show. And then I went on the cruise ships for Jean Ann Ryan for the first time in February of 1984. And I did a contract with her and I finished that contract the summer of 84. And then I came back to Vegas and um, was going to try my luck again. And I remember going into the uh, Moulin Rouge, and, uh, which was at the Las Vegas Hilton. And I think they had two black boys in the show. And I auditioned, again, did well, but was told, you know what, none of our black boys are leaving, so we don't have a spot for you. But they offered me a spot at, uh, I think it was the, uh, down on Fremont Street, at the end of the Fremont Street. It's not called Palace. But, um, I can't remember the name, but they had an ice skating show there. And they offered me a spot in the ice skating show. Even if I didn't skate, they would teach me how to and put me in the plaza. And, uh, but I had an incident when I was in college where I went ice skating, slipped and hit my head on the ice. And I said, mm -mm, not doing that again. So I, I, you know, I turned that down and um, there were auditions for Jubilee in town, like within a couple of weeks. And I went to watch not to do, but I went to watch the auditions. And while I was there, I run into Jillian Roshoey. And uh, Jillian says, oh, Narvell, what have you been doing? And I, you know, I tell her I've done this and I've done this and that. And she says, Narvell, it's just a shame that you're just a little too short, is what she says to me. And, um, and I said to Jillian, my five, eight and a half legs are going to be up and down before some boy who can't dance his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> and we kind of chuckled about it. It was very good to see her. And it wasn't a couple of weeks or so after that, that I received a phone call from Michael Shepard, who eventually had gotten into Hello Hollywood, to tell me, please call Jillian. She wants you in the show. Just call her, call her, call her. And I called Jillian and she offered me a contract to come up to do the MGM. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it that finally this was going to happen for me. And um, so I went up in October of 84 and I stayed for two years doing the MGM up in, up in Reno. Were there and more gentlemen your height that they changed it? Like you said, we talked before we recorded you can turn away someone who's an amazing dancer who's just one inch different to put a taller person. So, you know, you want to have the best dancers in there. So, you know, an inch here and there, give them higher heels. But did something change or they just were realizing we better get some stronger dancers? In my, my, all of my shoes were boots for the most part. They were all boots with a heel on them. And then lifts were placed inside of those boots. So oh, okay. Pretty much stood about six feet tall every night, you know, which I was really happy for. Um, but, I, you know, in my line of dancers, I uh, a couple of the dancers may have been like, oops, a phone call is coming through. Um, hold on one second. So, okay, got to call my mom back in just, just a few. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there were a couple that I know were not six feet tall, you know, five, 10, five, 10 and a half, maybe five, 11 in that. So, um, yeah, that's Adrian you know, probably said to them, you're no, you're six feet. No, you're five, 10. 
little code I, word. Yeah, because I don't know what I don't know what their story really was. You know, we may have talked about it back then, and I may have forgotten it now. But um, yeah, but I was a proud I was a proud 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 dancer at the time because I'm in this mega show in Reno at the MGM, and uh, you know, and I stayed the two years, and in, in you know, made lifelong friends, great friends again with Kate Vanderleet. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very exciting time. It was a very, very exciting time. You know? I mean, I, I'm, I'm thankful to a lot of people for that, you know, for Ada, Jillian, yeah. definitely Jillian Rochelle. And um, it was good. It was good Did that you- I... Hmm? Now, did you do any extra things? I think Reno, there wasn't a lot to do, but there was a lot of extra dance things if you wanted to well, perform yeah. or choreograph or, you know, a lot of people had extra gigs going on. I taught, I taught um, at a studio, two studios in there. I taught jazz while I was up in Reno. Um, there was a... I want to say, I don't want to call it an experiment, but uh, Joe Esposito, who was uh, vice president of of Bally's Grand, as the MGM turned into Bally's, um, started a project, that's what I'll call it, called Business Theater. And this was his brainchild. And, you know, the whole idea was that if, you know, different companies and corporations out there in America or wherever, if you wanted to bring your, your convention to the MGM, then we could actually take dancers from the show and tailor make a show that fits your product. And so this was his brainchild. And this is something that, that I was involved with, with um, you know, probably an- another handful of eight dancers or, or so. Um, and we toured around a little bit in the U.S. to different cities in the U.S. to promote this so that this would become a reality. So that's, that's something that I did on the side. That was great. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, doing the shows, Michael Shepard was, was, was very well known for this, doing the shows at the, at the nightclubs after hours, like at 3 a.m., and he would, you know, say that he was doing a show and, you know, who wanted to choreograph a number. So this person might choreograph one, Michael might choreograph a couple, you know, I was known to choreograph, you know, a number or two maybe. And then we would put these shows on for not only everybody in Hello Hollywood, but any of the other dancers that were, you know, who were in Reno dancing. Yeah. I mean, you know, they would know that the show was going to happen at 3 a.m. Everybody piles into the to the club or the bar, and it's you know those were fantastic. Those were fantastic days. Yeah. So yeah, we did. We did. It was yeah. That was I think some people say Reno because there wasn't a lot to do that we bonded, but then there was still so much creativity. I feel like some people said they never took a dance class again. Some people did. I remember going to comedy shows. There are people that okay. were doing things that we didn't know. They had all these extra talents, and so. I feel like there's always something going on and I'd be so amazed by the people I worked with because we're all doing the same thing on stage and you could be somewhat amazed, but, you're, but then you'd right. see other things they do. I'm like, who has the time and energy, but you know, to be young and have all these people that are creative that you can 
set pieces on that you've got like the best dancers and you can make stuff that you've always wanted to do and people that are hungry for it. So did you just kind of get to the end of being, um, uh Oh, Jillian is calling me right now. Jillian Rochelle is just calling me at this moment. I'm going to call her back after this and tell her I was talking to you and that you had good things. So hello, Jillian, if she's listening. Um, so when you, when you were done with the show with a contract, was it just, did you feel it was time to move on or you want to do something different? I'm also thinking with your military, I kind of want to go back. Mm-hmm. You traveled to some amazing places with your, with your dad's uh, where he was stationed, like how, you, you weren't just doing like different places in the States. You got to be in Japan and you got to be in. So did that kind of give you a hunger too? Because some people are content to never leave their small town, but for some of us, like what else is there? There's new places and exciting places to go. There's everywhere to go. It's better. Mm. And yeah. obviously, and you know, now I'm, I've, I've been a flight attendant for, for, for decades. It just for- so goes with your story. So that was all, you know, that was all kind of part of it. You know, I, you know, when I was 12, 13, all I wanted to do was fly to tell you the truth, because I had been so accustomed to that. And when my dad retired, I did not step on an airplane for another seven years or so. So um, I just had that hunger for that because that's what I was used to every two years, picking up and moving to a, another country and, uh, you know, another school and new friends and this and that. I, I remember going to university um, and in my freshman year at Irvine, I had a roommate who had only been in LA all of his life and had lived in the same house for 18 years. I could not get my head around that. And I said to him, were you not bored? And he said, why would I be bored? Well, most people growing up live in the same house or in one house for years. But yeah. I just had that experience. And so to me, that was very odd and very strange. So I always had the wonderlust. I've always yeah. the lust. And the dancing feet, I were going to, you know, I was going to use them to get me there wherever yeah. I that because that that to me was just like, I mean, my gosh, there was so much to see in this world. And I was exposed to that at such a young age. And I just didn't want to stop that. But um, as far as leaving Reno, um, the last six-month contract that I did of the four six-month contracts was from uh, October 85 to April of 86. And during that time, Suzanne Summers had come up to headline the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the stipulation that when she did her act, she did, I guess, about a 20, 25 minute act within our show. If she wanted to have dancers within her act, which she normally did from L.A., she could not use her L.A. dancers. She had to use the dancers who were already within the show. So that gave me an opportunity to work with her. And um, there was a number she did with with about 10 or 12 of us male dancers, rainy men. Which mm. I, and then there was another number called Yakin. And Yakin was only done with two male dancers. One being myself and the other one being Scott Burrell, who some of you might remember. And, um, you know, that allowed me to be a little bit closer to her, you know, get to know her a little bit better. But when the end of 
the contract came in October of 86, I knew it was time for me to go. And I wanted to come back to LA and try other things. And Suzanne's dance captain from LA was, uh, was a pretty good friend of mine. His name was Michael Impero. He also had worked with me in South Africa. And um, we were having a kind of a little going away party for Suzanne after the last show that night, end of contract. And Michael was there and he approached me and Michael Impero says, why don't you ask Suzanne if you can become one of her regular dancers out of LA? And I said, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna approach her and ask her that. He goes, just ask her, just ask her. And so I approached her that night during this, this little gala that we had for her. And I said, Suzanne, um, I wanna ask you something. And she said to me, I already know what you want to ask me. Don't worry, you're in. <gasps> oh. For the next five and a half years. And that wow. took me away from Hello Hollywood. At the time. Was it based in LA and you went different places to cheat tour or was it working in LA? At, we had so many weeks a year at this, you know, to fulfill at Caesar's Palace, be it Vegas or lake tahoe or atlantic city or we had so many weeks a year that we used to do at the desert inn in vegas so you know that's the way it was oh we've got three weeks we're opening up the day after christmas three weeks at the desert inn or we have this or we have this we worked on a cruise ship once uh we you know we did other shows that were just like single performances that were not like vegas where we would stay two or three weeks at a time you know so yeah what was her show like because i think of there was just a lot of female i remember in reno when i was there debbie reynolds had her boys right Suze, i think um juliet prowse i just like there was the, these women headliners that would have their group of, of male dancers and they were like amazing because they would i took so many classes when i lived in reno so it was whatever show was there were some of the best classes but what was was she doing like covers of other people's things or was it like a what kind of yeah. show was it Yes, I will say she was doing covers and she had and she had a wonderful voice and you know people did not know that but she then yeah. was an entertainer. She mm. entertainer, she most certainly was and um, I mean it was like it was like family with the dancers. I mean normally we had four female dancers, four male dancers in LA um, or out of LA when we when we toured. And um, had a great time fantastic time um you know she would so there were a lot of songs that she would sing you know solely on her own and then there were production numbers that we did in the show and then you know with the whole entire cast and then there were numbers that were done with her and just the female dancers and numbers that were done with she and the male dancers and this and that and so and we you know sing back up for her and uh it was great. It was great. Wow. Oh, and numbers changed through the years. Different things happened. At one point, Kenny Ortega came in and revamped the, you know, the entire show. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Wow. I have a new appreciation. I think when you when she gets connected with only Three's Company and then you find, see her, because I feel like she was guest on other people's shows. And yeah. you see this talent and go, oh, like... 
it doesn't serve you to always be pegged as the dumb blonde when you've got all this talent and, and how much those variety shows were just, that was what got me dancing. I wanted to be like on Sunny and Cher. I wanted to be on yeah, um, Carol Burnett had dancers, even the Mandrills. Like I'm going to be on a variety show. And then they kind of went away, but yeah. they were still happening out live, which is like, those are the ones that you get to mix it up. That's so true. That's so true. And that's what really got me about dance. You know, when you say Carol Burnett, the Ernie Flat dancers on it. Yeah. Those, they got me. They got me. And yeah. I love seeing them. Yeah. Ernie Flat dancers on Carol Burnett. I mean, you know, through high school, watching the Carol Burnett show and all those production numbers at the end. And, and I just, oh man, I just wanted that. I wanted that so bad. And I remember trying to arrange a group of my friends and myself to drive down to Hollywood to see a taping of Carol Burnett before the show went off the air in 19, it was in 1977 and 1978. And um, unfortunately we never made it, but um, that was just. Uh. I think it was like we, and when those variety shows came on as like, as a dancer, like I'm not going to be, I knew I wasn't going to be in a ballet company. I didn't think I could do by seeing them like that. I think it was the glamour. It was that production show thing, which I'd never seen the razzle dazzle. And then also solid gold. I don't know if you were a solid gold fan, but I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a solid gold dancer. And I look at it now and it's harder than some things we do. And it's also cheesier. Like it had that good eighties thing of over the top dramatic lyrical and the lifts are just like so cringy and good, but they were, they were dancing their asses off. Like they were like, you know, it's like kick layout, triple turn, maybe not good turns, but they were also like, just, they were working hard. Yeah. I had friends that did solid gold and and dance fever, Uh, you know, because some of the other, uh, you know, when, when I worked with Suzanne, you know, we do three weeks and then, you know, we may not see her for a month or something. And then we see, so you, you had, you know, we all had something else going on. And, um, you know, I think one or two of the girls had worked with, with like dance fever or solid gold. This was their thing. I, I actually on the side became a tour guide at Universal Studios of all things, because every tour guide was an actor, singer, dancer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You could never promote yourself while you were giving the tour. That was one of the, the golden rules upon the hill. Um, but yeah, and then um, Michael Impero, the friend who I told you had encouraged me to talk to Suzanne. Um, he was doing Chippendales in the club in LA as his side gig. And at one point they asked him to go on tour and he didn't want to do it. So he came to me and said, how would you like to tour with Chippendales? And he kind of, he kind of gave me the 911. And I said, well, why do you not want to do this? And he goes, because I don't want to leave LA, you know, because he thought he might miss out on something. Yeah. Oh, so I went to do Chippendales, six and a half week tour in the Western United States. And that was the most interesting thing I've ever done. <laughs> oh, really? Oh my, how so? Well, Let's see without giving too much away or is it the telltale novel well i just no. watched the whole uh there was a special on that the story of the uh, starting of it i don't know when the drama with the murder and all that happened but also the scenes like just sex happening in the dressing rooms and i don't know if it's like is this like uh glorified or is it like is that how it really was but you got a lot of horny women in the 
So when I told Michael that I was interested in doing Chippendales, and this is and this is like the fall, fall of 1987, September, October. And uh, he said, okay, let me do what I need to do and I'll get back to you. And then when he gets back to me, he says, okay, um, I just need for you to get a resume together and pictures together. And I need you to call, what was her name? She was the company manageress of us, of this tour that was getting ready to happen. Bonnie. And he says, you need to call Bonnie. And so I called this woman, very nice. And she said, I need for you to meet me. I think it was in Buena Park for lunch next Tuesday or whatever it was. And she said, just wear something revealing for me. And I thought, okay. So I get this resume together. And I go to meet Bonnie in this restaurant. And I'm wearing a really tight shirt. And, you know, the shirt's open and all. Yeah, so <laughs> and here I go to this table. And here is Bonnie, the nicest woman. And I, and this might be sexist to say right now, and I shouldn't. But I thought I was going to be seeing a woman that was maybe of a younger age and, you know, and maybe you know what I'm talking about <laughs> with this estate. But Bonnie was like, she looked like she was getting ready to go pick up her kids from school. And but, I mean, really, it was yeah. like housewife. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised because I'm thinking Chippendales are probably going to want some woman that looked, you know, whatever. That's that's really bad of me to say now. No, but I can see the assumption. You're going to have a, a centerfold woman meet me there. You understand. That's that's what I yeah. thought. And yeah. it was. And she was so sweet and so kind and so nice. And I sat there being eye candy for an hour and a half with <laughs> Bonnie. And Bonnie hired me on the spot. And really? I, my contract, my summer contract at Universal. And I went into rehearsals. There were four male dancers, which I was one of. There were five strippers. We had, we, oh, we had the firemen. We had like the surf boy. We had the barbarian caveman. We had the, <laughs> and the construction worker. And uh, then we had the hosts who were basically the guys that walked around with the you know typical Chippendales, the bow tie, the black tight black pants, no shirts, the cuffs, the you know yep. black. <laughs> and um, I don't know, we may have eight or ten of them, and they were also there to be sure that when the kiss and tip happened, um, that women did not do anything they were not supposed to do because they were supposed to maybe place that dollar to get a kiss, and that's it, and not any touchy-feely and all this kind of stuff. So I go into rehearsals. I remember the dance captain was not the best. I mean, it was so confusing for me because I was just so used to good dance captains, you know, just mm -hmm. pull it out in numbers and there you have it. And this guy had the hardest time putting that together and translating it. So it was difficult. Um, typically, uh, each one of the, the, the strippers would come out and do a number 
including us four male dancers. That was in context to his character. Mm. And we four dancers would go off. The music would slow down. and He would do a very slow strip. And then when he got down to his G-string, the music would pop, boom, boom. <laughs> and then the women would come up and do their kiss and tip. This is kind of how it typically went for the show. Yeah. But man, it was like living in a locker room 24-7 with these guys. And we were touring on a bus. <laughs> and Bonnie was just so cool and collected. I mean, she was, she was like the den mother, I tell you. <laughs> she, was, she was really something special. And uh, yeah, it took, it, it took a while to get, well, I, and I'm going to say this. Um, as a gay man, and, I, and I'll tell you, that's one question. Every time I mention I, I was Chippendales, everybody goes, were they all gay? Were they gay? They, all, they always ask that question. Oh, really? And huh. no. Huh. It, the group that I was in, no. Um, we had a couple that, you know, maybe the door kind of, you know, they were, you know, they helped out at Christmas. They were good Christmas help. But I mean, I <laughs> say. Uh, but um, having women throw themselves at you because you are Chippendales, and that's what happened, you know. Women would say things to me that I just thought, oh my God, and my question was, so if I were not Chippendales, would you really say that to me? Yeah. Or, it's yeah. It part of it. And they would just say things and suggest things, and you're like, God, you know, and the whole time I'm thinking, got a brother, you know. So, <laughs> I, I just went saw Magic Mike in Vegas. I was there a couple weeks ago. So I heard the dancing was really good. And I've heard they added more of the lap dance stuff that wasn't originally in there. So there's women, they're like bachelorette parties or somebody's birthday, and they're all dressed up. And it was like, oh, I'm looking, watching, like somebody's two people away watching this happen. You know, like, and there, those women were like all in for it. I went, how would I be if someone came up and started grinding on me? I'm 63. Would I appreciate that or be thankful for some love and attention at this state in my life? Or would I be this really not what I want to do in public right now? But I see those women come in one way. And when those men, that's like you said, that beat comes in there and they're like, take me. Is nuts. And then we were, you know, we were, we had a, a Greyhound bus that said Chippendales on the side of it. And we went from town to town. So everybody knew who we were because it was on the side of the bus. Were they waiting for you there too? Was it a big deal when Chippendale uh, men show up? Burger King or something like that, you know, whatever. But it was, you know, gosh, man, I just, I, it's like, I want to get into it, but I better not. <laughs> I do. Have, I have a question though. Did they pay the dancers the same as the strippers? No, who I'm, I couldn't even I, guess which way it went higher. And to remember, I remember that pre-show, all the women are in the big room, ballroom, or wherever, in whatever hotel. The hosts, the ten guys dress. The male dancers were dressing the same as they are, are just walking around and mingling in the room. And that's where I mean, you know, where women would approach you and say things because you were Chippendales and, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. And 
meanwhile, upstairs in a room, there would be like a meet and greet. And you would have the five strippers up there and they sit behind tables and they have eight by 10 glossies. And, you know, I guess I think if I recall, women would pay a certain amount to go to the meet and greet. And, you know, they get to talk to the guy, have a photo op, um, you know, get a picture signed, eight by 10 and this and that. Um, and this is what they were doing when this was going on downstairs when we were like mixing and mingling as women came into the big room, the big ballroom. But if I recall correctly, the women were already tipping up top. They would oh, tip. Oh, really? Oh. Wink and a nudge, call me 50 bucks. Oh, really? They're already making a small fortune before they even before they even come downstairs and do a show oh my gosh oh and are they going to call these women probably not maybe not can't say for sure but they would have a little fortune stashed away before they even start it and then downstairs Ladies' night, ooh, oh, yeah, oh, 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 what a night would start. Yeah. And it would go crazy. And us 14 guys would find our way to the stage. And we would do a number on the stage to ladies, hey, hey, it's ladies' night. And the women are going, yeah, going crazy. <laughs> and then we would all turn to the side, let's say facing stage left, with our heads turned toward the audience. And we'd go to our pants, the, the right hip then, because that's what's facing them. And we would pull the Velcro. And because we'd have on a G-string, if you pulled it just right, it looked like you didn't have anything. And they would go <laughs> The MC of the show would come out and go, oh, you boys, you put your clothes back on. You can't do that. You know, the women are like, take it off, take it off. <laughs> And, um, you know, we pull up and then the MC would come out and he would he would start the show and MC the show. He was like a used car salesman, I remember. Ugh. But anyway, that's what it was like. And we went from number to number to number. And at the very end of the show, I mean, you know, at the very end of the show, we all ended up on stage in the typical Tippendales. And then we did a number and we would turn so that you had all the guys on stage with their back to the audience and we would reach down to the bottom of our pants and pull that velcro because then we were like with just a g-string yeah and the boom blackout just at that point women would go nuts oh my gosh it's okay. so different because there's kind of the giggly thing when women get together but then when they go wild because like if, he, if men go watch strippers they're they're not giggling and laughing and uh, it's a different demeanor, but even talking about being topless and hello, Hollywood, hello, the way it's set up, the women are kind of in charge and you're, you're unattainable. Like the men would, they would not think to yell, take it off probably in that show. And they right. have this reverence, but then you could see those same men in a bar and they'll grab your ass. Like they think that they have been titled. So it's just something very different of how these people we talk this way to these people, we would never do that to. Yeah. Same person, different situation, but how 
it just felt really nice to not have, you know, like you could be in your body and sensual and beautiful without like, Oh, this is going to get everybody in trouble. Yeah, no. And I, I, you know, we did the West coast, California up through Oregon, Washington. Um, where, where are you in Washington? I'm in Seattle. Seattle. I used to be in Puyallup. I remember it was Chippendales. I, was, I remember going to Chippendales in LA. Well, do you remember, you know, where the airport is and there's yeah. a, uh, what's the hotel that's across the street from the. There used to be the red lion was kind of a thing. Oh, red lion. That's where we performed in. In Seattle. Really? That's where we performed. Wow. In. And um, so then we came down and, you know, went through Texas and we got to Orange, Texas. And we did our show that night. And after the show, they called us in for a meeting and they said the show stops now immediately. Because as it was explained, someone sold the rights to the name Chippendales and we no longer could tour. I mean, it was like they just shut the water off just like that. Oh, wow. But it's, you know, they took us to Houston. They put us all on planes and sent us home. Because that's, in, there is a, a, I guess it's kind of a documentary movie about it. It's based but, on truth, but how the whole, it got really funky there for a while with there was LA and New York and two different people running it and then a murder, yeah. <laughs> which I guess is based on some truth of the jealousy of who had the rights and who could do what and who had con- creative control and all that. Yeah, this was, I think it was October, October of 87 when this happened. Because Chippendales yeah. is still going, isn't it? Is it still a thing or no? I think, yeah, because I think there's something here in Vegas. And, oh, yeah, there is. There is in Vegas. So I stayed at the Rio and I think there was a Chippendale show there. Uh, yeah, so, so it's still going. And, you know, afterwards, you know, most of the guys would go downstairs to the bar after the show. And it was just like. Whatever they wanted, you know, pretty much yeah. Chippendales, which, of course, I did not partake because being a gay individual and nothing against that. Um, and Bonnie, I think Bonnie knew that. Did and men come, could men come to the show or was it really just for women? It was women. It was, was it like, restricted that men couldn't come? I believe it was because I never saw a man and never. Mm-hmm. And, um, when the, when it was all over, Bonnie approached me and said, listen, there's a Chippendales club in Atlantic city. I'd like for you to go and be dance captain. And I said, no, that's okay. That's okay. I was in a relationship with someone who had moved to Hawaii and I, that's what I was expected to do at the end of the summer anyway. But then I took this detour of this Chippendales. And after that, I actually moved to Honolulu. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then you, I know you were in Greece for a long time. So can you talk about that too? Cause your dance career just, it's this, I know. little gem of Chippendales. I wouldn't know to ask that. That was great. I will have to continue this with you um, because I've got to fly tonight and I've got to get yes. myself two things and, 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 and whatever. So, and I will continue with you. Yeah, this was great. And it was such a last minute, like when we were talking just to go over the thing on the book and I said, we need to record this. You have an amazing story. And this is just the first chapter. Yeah, a lot of stories. Now you'll write a separate book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of people are writing their stories because we just thought that was normal. But you your know, story next to another dancer you worked with is very different. I mean, you add the Chippendales, you add your 
growing up things that yeah i sit on a jump seat now and people go when are you going to write a book i just tell them an, an eighth of what i told you and they're like what and they said because i tell you it's different you like you know, and i'll say this before i have to go as dancers in you know hello hollywood or whatever show we are seeing these people night after night after night after night after night so sometimes unless we are really trusting of this person we are not going to say everything that's going on with us or this or that and as flight attendants we talk to each other and tell each other practically everything really because when i first started to fly and one of my exes who worked in the travel business but in an office he would say to me i have been sitting next to this girl in my office for 15 years you sit next to someone for an hour and a half flight and she knows more about you than i know about this girl that i've been sitting next to for 15 years because as flight attendants there's a i don't it's the camaraderie it's a you know i will fly if you're a flight attendant i will fly with you today even though we're in the same base i may not even see you for 2 years yeah or if i do see you 6 months later i'll say oh how's the divorce going or did you you know did you did your daughter have that baby or blah, 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 just what I remember, but that's it. Because I don't go from one plane to the next plane and go, oh my God, I just flew this flight in a Sherry and she husband. No, you want to know why? Because the girl sitting to me now has all brand new stories. Uh -huh. So I had to do that. And that's the way it is in the industry. So a lot of us talk about a lot of things and we're called, you know, jump seat therapists. And we talk about this, that. It's like, oh my God, it was so good to meet you. I hope I fly with you again. Never see him again sometimes. Oh. Do and oh, but, you know, but for that reason, that's why my ex says, you know, because I sit next to this person every day. I don't know if something's going to happen. And then um, she's going to be like, oh, well, let me tell you what so-and-so. Right. Yeah. That's Some more why. risk. Very different. Well, when you fly today, I dare you, I'll pay $20 to send me a video of you doing your Chippendales moves on the flight during the announcements and see if you get some extra money and some wink, some I, winks and some proposals. Funny. Would you get fired? You are funny. I, I'll give you, I'll give you $15 if there's video of you, if you just, just the open shirt or the tear away pants. I'd be fired. <laughs> I guess so. I guess that's not worth $15. Um, Things have changed, Sherry. It's not, you can't just rip your pants off in an aisle anymore. Even I, mean, I have pictures of dancing days that, you know, I can't really even show because yeah. easy somebody can say, uh-uh-uh, I'd be done in a heartbeat. A heartbeat. That's like, yeah. There's people that are professors that they don't put any of their show information, any show pictures, or they've declined, denied, not denied, decided not to do an interview because if one of their college students knows that they were topless in Vegas 35 years ago, it could still bite them oh, in the yeah. butt. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, hmm. well, this has been fabulous. I'm so glad this worked out. Have a wonderful flight. And then we'll, we'll do part two. Yeah, we'll do part two. I'd love to. I'd that love sounds like a great story. And I love just the whole thing with Michael Shepard, with all you guys, the friendships, it was really, um, really beautiful to hear your story of how it stayed all these years. And those are, you know, besides I'm, having women want to throw themselves at you, having good friendships probably 
goes higher up on the on the chain. Yeah, maybe when we're off camera, I'll tell you. I'll, I will. I will. I want to hear more Chippendale stories. <laughs> stuff with you that I'm not gonna. Right, the juicy bits. But anyway, uh, so let's do that. And okay, that sounds good. Just had his birthday. Um, oh. he just turned sixty. Yeah. Sixty-two. So we're 62. both. We're 62. We're the same age for three months between February. Okay. Yeah. AI jump up 63. I'm 63 too. We're in the, we're in a good bracket. When's your birthday? I'm September. I'm May. Okay. So yeah, I think I win. No, you win the oldest by just a little bit. May 18th. What what day? I'm September 27th. September 27th. Okay. Yeah. And any photos you have of any of those days, a little Chippendale, a little Hello Hollywood, a little Greece, any photos that we can put when this comes out, because it'll be fun to see. Yeah. What was it? Okay. Before you go, capacious? No, not. What is the word of round buns? Calipagian. Calipagian. It sounds like a Greek god. Well, there you go. (laughs) Must be what it is. You've got the buns of a Greek god. Okay. That's how I end this. Maybe that's the title of your interview. Calipation. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> Thank we'll- you so much, Norvell. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk.